This is Rich Bullock speaking, and on behalf of the ASMAC Board of Directors, I welcome you to another ASMAC podcast. What you're about to hear is a recording of one of the regular luncheon presentations recorded at Catalina's Jazz Club in Hollywood. These podcasts feature leading Hollywood composers, arrangers, orchestrators, and musicians talking about their lives in music. That's been a friend of mine for, since, uh, well, I think about 1975, uh, Grant and I have known each other and uh, kind of came to Los Angeles under similar circumstances. We're both from the Bay Area and uh, we both uh, went to what was then the was it uh, Valley State College, it's now CSU and Northridge, and we both played in the, uh, the A band there under the direction of uh, Mr. Joel Leach, who happened to be in attendance today, and I'm very uh, pleased to see, to see Joel here today, uh, especially to introduce uh, two of my composer guitarists of high esteem, hardworking guys that are very prolific, Dennis C. Brown has won six BMI TV Music Awards, three for uh, Grace Under Fire, three for Garmin and Greg. Um, both iconic shows, great music. And then uh, I, I understand he was uh, just honored recently in June for the CSAC Award as well for Two and a Half Men, which he uh, co-composed with Grant Geisman. Grant Eisman, who, in, in addition to having uh, done the music for several shows, 12 years of Two and a Half Men, and, and then six years of uh, the Mike and Molly show with Dennis, uh, is uh, also the leader of uh, and, uh, and guitarist on 15 of his own albums, which he has composed nearly all of the music for himself. and. Um, I'm going to bring Grant up, and we'll get started, because uh, he tells his story better than I do. So, uh, come on up, Grant Eisen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. My greatest fear would there be nobody in the audience. So, uh, <laughs> happily, that didn't happen. So thanks so much for, for coming. Yeah, I've known Dan since 75. I actually moved down here, I think it was the end of 73. And I, uh, I went to one semester down at Cal State Fullerton. They had a pretty good jazz program. Tom Rainier, the great piano player, who I still work with, um, was in charge of the music program. But it was too far down there. You know, I wanted to be up in Hollywood, where, or near Hollywood, where the action was. So after one semester, I transferred to Cal State Northridge and uh, under the direction of Joel Leach, the jazz band. Where's Joel? He's here somewhere. There you are. Hey, Joel. So Northridge was a great place to be. Not only was it you know, a great band, but um, pro players would come in oftentimes to have their charts read by the big band. One of, the, one of those guys was Louis Belson. And, um, and then also Gerald Wilson had a jazz class that he taught. So both of those people would kind of scope out who were good players in the, in the jazz program, and sometimes they'd hire you know, guys to play in their band. So Louis started calling me to play in his big band, and so did Gerald Wilson. So during the time I was still in college, I started playing with Louis. If we can get this started. So there I am. This was at the, uh, then called the Pilgrimage Theater. So that's Baby Grant in 1976. And uh, so I started playing with Louis regularly. And then at one point, he asked me if uh, I would do this gig up at the Concord Jazz Festival. And it was just a small group thing, like a, a seven-piece band. So um, I went up there. And we're at the sound check, like you know, getting set up. We're at the sound check up in Concord Pavilion. It's this big kind of circular outdoor pavilion there. And during the soundtrack, he says to me, hey, if you have any tunes you want to do tonight, let me know. And I'm like, I, I didn't bring any tunes, you know, but I could try to write something. And he goes, yeah, okay, try to write something. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, okay. And this melody popped into my head, and I go, well, give me 10 minutes, and I got some music paper from somewhere. 
and I went in the back and I wrote this tune and we recorded it um, on Louis Belson 7 live at Concord Festival. So let me... And it's called Starship Concord because this pavilion looked like a starship. And I, this is an edited version. The, the whole piece is like seven minutes long. Pete Chrisley and um, Blue Mitchell and uh, Dick Nash is playing. Great guys, but anyway, and I, I'm, I'm letting you hear one chorus. I, you know, he came in about 15 minutes later and he goes, hey, we got a, you know, sound check and stuff. And I had just, you know, finished jotting down. And I had to write, you know, transpose parts. If I had more time, I could have done harmony stuff, but I just, here it is. Um, and I think we probably played it once at the sound check and then once that night, that was it. You know, uh, it was Pete Chrisley on sax. So, um, ridiculous. And now I wonder, all these years later, maybe he meant, do I have any standard tunes I want to play? <laughs> but, but I go, well, I could write some. And he's like, but God bless Louie. He goes, okay. So, you know, yeah, it was on the album. Crazy. Incidentally, Grant, I mean, you, I know you've been writing since, you know, you were in probably school, you know, before. Uh, did, you, did you study composition? Sort of. No, not really. I mean, you know, at Northridge they had like classical composition and stuff, which I didn't really take to all that well. No, I was just, you know, I used to write these perfectly awful pop tunes. You know, that was kind of the first step I tried to write in high school. And then when I got down to Northridge, exposed to much more jazz stuff, which I'd already been anyway, but I just started writing more instrumental music, and that became, you know, more of the focus. Comes naturally. I mean, and then I worked on it. I've written, you know, a lot of stuff, so, but that, you know. And then I used to have a band, um, I'd write stuff and then we'd put bands together and play at Dante's, the great, you know, club on Lancashire that's no longer there. And, so I wonder how many people remember that. Is there, who, who remembers Dante? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, I actually never graduated from Northridge. I was four GE classes away from a, a degree in uh, performance. I'd done my senior recital and stuff like that, and I got the call to uh, actually do one gig at the Santa Monica Civic with Chuck Mangione. He called me, and, and I knew his music because I, I played some stuff when I was up in San Jose. And uh, anyway, so I got a call to do like this one one-off gig at Santa Monica Civic. This would have been in like the end of 76, so right after this Louis Belson thing. Um, and this guy, Bill Reichenbach, trombone player, who was a student at Chuck's, had recommended me. And so I just went to a rehearsal and did that gig. And he liked what I did, and he's like, well, we've got, I don't know, four or five more little small group dates in the Pacific Northwest. Do you want to do those? And I was like, yeah, I do. Because I really didn't care about school. Um, I mean, it was, I, I enjoyed the band, and, but I hated all the, you know, GE classes and all that stuff. Um, and so I actually bailed on school and went on the road with Chuck. And that led to um, the first album that we did with him was called Feel So Good, which was a two million selling uh, album. 
And it also featured this guitar solo that people still talk about. This is the album cover. And there's that one. And then on the international hit. It was actually it was on Billboard. It was the number two album right below Saturday Night Fever. Wow. Not too bad. Pretty unusual for jazz. And here's us on the back cover holding Chuck. That's me in the middle. And here is what feels so good sounded like. And then there's a little transcription that'll start playing once my solo happens. someone mentions that still to me. Um, and I get emails from people like, I remember the first time I heard that I was driving in a car and I had to pull off to the side of the road to hear it and all this. It's like, wow. What you get for making a hit record? I guess so. <laughs> and then we did a lot of TV shows back in the Chuck days. This one is from the 1979 Grammys. We played it just a little bit faster than the record.
actually, because I was in the Grammy Orchestra that year playing guitar. And we played uh, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover with Paul Simon on that show. <laughs> How old was I? Let's see, 79, 20, let's see. My math is not that good. 26, maybe? <laughs> it's a big L5, big Gibson L5. That's the original L5 yeah. that, you know, that we bought up at Moyer Music. His family uh, in San Jose had Ferguson Music House. Yeah, my grandfather had three music stores up there. Yeah. And then the other, you know, I guess competing music store was Moyer Brothers Music, and I bought that guitar there. Oh, and I should mention, while we're at it, my mom is, is here in the audience. She's, uh, stand up, oh, you are standing. She's gonna be uh, 98 uh, in August. So, thanks for all the guitar lessons, Mom. Anyway, um, so, Right after the Feel So Good stuff, because of, um, you know, having done this stuff up at Concord Jazz Festival and doing that album with Louie. And by the way, I want to mention that, that Starship Concord was the first song that I ever had professionally released. And it got me an ASCAP. So, and I want to thank uh, Mike and Sean and Jen from ASCAP for being here today. That's great. Thank you so much. Anyway, so then I did, uh, I was asked by Carl Jefferson, the owner of Concord Jazz Records, to do a solo album, and I did. And the cover looks like this. <laughs> I haven't changed a bit, right? <laughs> and here's the title tune from that record. Kind of an edited version. such a, a, a happy, likable thing, as well as, uh, you know, uh, very technically cool, and, you know, for the guitarists and everything, it's really a well-rounded oh, thing you. that you do. And that was Tom Rainier on uh, piano, who, of course, I first met at uh, Cal State Fullerton, and that's my um, 
you know, CSUN bandmate Gordon Goodwin on uh, tenor sax on the record. Um, and then I, I did a few albums as the years went by. Here's the next album. I'll just, I'm not going to play anything from this. But on this album, we sort of, we did a nod to the Feel So Good album on the back. <laughs> and there's Gordon. That's Nick and East there. We love your covers, too. I like artwork, you know. Um, there's another side of me, which I won't go too far into, but I'm a lifelong collector of Mad Magazine and EC Comics, Tales from the Crypt, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I like artwork, you know. Um, so my album covers, I always try to, you know, make them interesting and, and artistic in some way. And with liner notes and stuff like that, and, and you know, in this day of digital downloads, it's very difficult to get anything of that kind of substance, but I'm old school, so I like that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, let's see. I'll just play a few tunes off of, I, I did a series of albums kind of starting in the late 80s on a, a few different labels. One of them um, was an album called Rustic Technology, where, where there was no synthesizers at all. Um, everything was acoustic instruments and no drums. It was two percussionists instead of the drummer role. And then it was acoustic guitar stuff and then violin as the melody instrument. So I'm gonna play a tune called Gumbo from that project. I wrote a song for my daughter Greer, who's here today. Hi Greer. 
she doesn't like me to tell her age, so I can't tell you the date of the record. But uh, I wrote half of this song um, while my wife Lydia was still pregnant. Hi, Lydia. And uh, I felt like I couldn't finish it until after Greer was born and I could meet her and see her. And so about three or four days after she was born, I finished this tune. It's called Greer's Tears.
four horns, two trumpets, tenor sax, and trombone. And then the rhythm section was just, you know, just keyboards, uh, bass drums, guitar, and then probably a couple of percussion guys. Got such a great stylistic ear, you know. I love that, especially where the guitar is concerned. You know, oh, the soul really you. comes out, melodies. Oh, thank you. Rhythm and everything. Really so, tight, yeah. Thank you. So around, uh, I don't know, 1997, I think it was, I had a fellow uh, Mad Magazine collector friend who was in the TV business. Um, and his name's Lee Aronson, and he's sitting right there. Thank you for coming, Lee. And we would get together and you know, trade artwork or you know, show off our latest acquisitions, Mad Magazine stuff we bought. And um, one day he calls up and he said, uh, hey, you're a musician. I'm working on this sitcom. It's gonna be called Life and Stuff. So uh, why don't you pitch a theme? And I'm like, okay. And as far as I know, I don't know that you even had ever heard anything I'd ever done. I, I don't think so. So, okay, so I, I, you know, I asked him what the show's about, and it starred Rick Reynolds as comedian Rick Reynolds and Pam Dauber. And it was kind of like, uh, you know, Rick's life as a middle-aged man, sort of, you know, confronting no sex in his marriage, and his job's not what he thought it was, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I worked up a demo, and I called him up, and I go, hey, I have a demo of my theme. And he goes, okay, why don't you come down to the office, and we'll play it for the writers and stuff. Okay, so I, in those days, we, I made a little cassette, and I had this little boom box, and I went down to the office, and uh, all the writers were there, and maybe, I forget who else, maybe Lee can chime in, but Rick Reynolds was there, though. The, yeah, the executive producers were there. And um, so I hook up my little boombox and plug it in, and all of a sudden I look at Lee and his eyes get kind of big, because I, and I know what he's thinking. He goes, what if this really sucks? Like, you know, what if this guy can't really do this? And he says this out loud, what if this sucks? And I laugh and I go, well then you say thank you for coming in and we'll see you whenever. And he goes, okay. So I, so I hit play, and this is what they heard. CBS for exactly four episodes. And the network hated it, and the studio hated it, everyone hated it, and that was the end of that. Except, never let a good musical idea go to waste. And I expanded that and I put it on one of my albums, and I want to play the whole three minute something long version of Life and Stuff theme.
you. I appreciate it, but it doesn't change what Jake did. You're right. You're absolutely right. Jake, go to the vending machine and get Miss uh, Pastor Mac a peach snapple and a bag of Skittles. <laughs> it is Miss Pastor Mac, right? So I'm like, look, why don't, it should be like Lennon-McCartney. It's 50-50 split, I, you know, then that way, whoever does what, it doesn't matter, you know. I don't want to take anything away from Dennis, you know. And the funny thing is, I had met Dennis 30 years ago before that, or, or 25 years before that, at Valley Arts. Mike McGuire had introduced us, and I remember. I, I do, yeah. Yeah, I remember. Okay, now I remember. I didn't before. <laughs> and, then, and then Chuck said, well, you know, what would the credit be? 
like for you guys. And I'm like, well, Dennis would be first. He's, you know, I don't want, I'm not That's trying all to. I wanted. I'm not trying to. But the, so happily, it, it turned into a really great partnership and a really nice friendship. So Chuck had some kind of wisdom there. It, it, it actually did work out very well. There were certain things he would do and certain things I would do that complemented each other. And the nice thing is anytime we needed something written, if that were my task, you know, I'm struggling with Sibelius and thinking it out and listening or whatever, I would just comment to Grant and you, in five minutes you got a chart. Just like the, the thing you talked about with Louis Belson, you're, you're backstage and you got it. Well, well, here's the part, you know, screw Sibelius and all. I still don't know how to use that, so. Easy to rely. Yeah, toughy. But when you have him, you don't need to do that. So, um, occasionally, we would be asked to do other things on the show, including sometimes actually sideline. So here's a little clip. Uh oh. What? Nothing. <clears throat> I guess I'll just have to watch my DVD of Fantasia on the Natch tonight. Congratulations, Your Honor. Well deserved. Oh, thank you, Councilman. You know, I'd like you to meet my friend, Charlie Harper. Charlie, this is Councilman Stewart. <laughs> wow, it's weird looking. And for, we're playing in the background, we're playing King of the Road, you know, uh, Roger Miller's tune. I don't know why they thought that would have been. <laughs> you never, they wanted to spend 15 grand just to get that on there. Exactly. Could have used anything, you didn't really hear it. So then, you know, we did the show for eight years, and uh, Charlie Sheen had his little meltdown, and they brought Ashton Kutcher in, and then we got another four years with, you know, with Ashton, which was unbelievable. So um, we had to redo the theme to, to now accommodate Ashton. And by the way, I should mention, uh, one of the singers on the, the voice, both versions of voice of Charlie Sheen, the voice of Charlie number Sheen, one is out number there. one is Randy Crenshaw sitting right there. Yeah. Thank you, Randy. And you know, who did he become the voice of in, in version two? Angus. He was Angus. Uh, you were Angus. Yeah. I, I don't get that, but. <laughs> and it was also um, Randy Crenshaw, John Joyce, and uh, E.G. Daly sang the part of uh, Little. Little Angus. Little Angus. Yeah. E. So we went from E.G. Daly, Little Angus, to Big Angus as Randy Crenshaw. That's, that's right. But I remember we had you just lighten things up a little bit, and it worked. Angus was a man at that point. Yeah. And then the John Cryer voice was still the same. John Cryer was still uh, John Joyce. John Joyce. John and John. That works out. Both J-O-N instead of J-O-H-N. That's why we hired him, I believe. I think so. <laughs> And then um, the voice of Ashton was Richard Page from Mr. Mystery. Yeah. And no one ever figured that out. Yeah. No. And no one asked. No one asked. Herpes Jr. We right. tried a couple different people. Actually, we ended up listening to about four or five different people. Yeah. And uh, Richard did it right. So sometimes, um, and this is why Dennis was so important to this partnership, because he has done a lot of TV. Um, sometimes the writers write stuff, and you look at it and you go, this isn't going to work. So this is a scene where um, Ashton was proposing to his girlfriend and um, what they had written was, he's at the certain word, the string quartet would grab instruments out of under the tables and get their cello and whatever, uh, and then play this song. And Dennis goes, well, that's not gonna work. You can't just grab violins and instantly play. And he goes, you should have Grant play guitar, and then 
you know, it would be fast and it would be there and it would be still romantic and whatever. And they're like, okay. So thank you for that. <laughs> Before you go further, yeah, yeah. I do want to add my one other contribution was when they were doing the, um, supposed to imitate an American, what's the show with the voices? American has talent. American Idol or what? Well, I get one of those. They were supposed to do that. They have a theme week. I was the one that suggested it to be Wang Chung week. And they loved it. That, they did, they did, no, nobody ever thanked me for that, but I said that was a brilliant thought. So, okay. Wang Chung week. I like Wang Chung. And then there's a surprise guest in this clip, so we'll just let it. Did you just? I did. <laughs> when I hear your voice, it's like music. Music. keep his mind on nothing else. I'm totally lost now. He'd give up all his comforts. Sleep out in the rain. She said that's the way it ought to be. Wait, that's from some song. No, 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 not some song. A great song. Boom, you're up. Becoming Zoe Hyde, Tottenham Pierce Schmidt. Sometimes we got to really stretch out, um, and uh, I don't know, maybe season 10 or something like that, it was this, maybe the second season with Ashton, they decided they were going to write a roughly three and a half minute kind of fantasy musical sequence. And uh, they shot it on the uh, back lot of Warners with 50 dancers, and we got to hire 16 singers and have a kind of a big band, and Randy Crenshaw put the group together, thank you for that. Um, and the song is called, as you know, Two and a Half Men was always tasteful, no matter what. And the song is called, You're a Douche. If you'd sung it. I'm sorry, I'm just, just upset. I, mean, I, I did what I did for love. Am I really that bad of a guy? You're a douche, you're a douche, you're a big, fizzy douche. You broke that poor girl's heart. You're a douche, you're a douche, you're a big fizzy douche. You should have told the truth like from the start. But my intentions were good, I was no slave to my wood. I wanted her to love me for me. He does have lots of riches which attracts a lot of bitches. Thank you, Alan, but you'll never be on Glee. Oh, crap. If I may throw in my two cents, your love was based on a pretense. Your relationship with mother is to blame. You didn't suckle on her boobies. Just a medicate with doobies. Which explains why you used a made-up name. You to refrain. You're a douche, you're a douche, you're a big fizzy douche. Thank you. Then what am I to do? So I don't always live with you. Wow! 
gives me one more chance, we can have a real romance. If she doesn't, we can party in my pants. Excuse me, no disrespect, but I have to interject. What makes you think you can steal the show? Cause I'm gay. Oh, you're so clearly from LA. Yes, I'm gay. And he will always be that way. And I find it to be quite distressing. Can we sing about the problem that's at hand? Can Kate get over Sam and love who I am? You confuse me for someone who gives a damn. So bottom line, you're a douche, you're a douche, you're a big fizzy douche. And I'm not sad and alone. You're a douche, you're a douche, you're a big fizzy douche. Hold it, everybody. That's my phone. Hello? Kate? You're a douche. Douche, 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 you're a douche. Oh, what? You couldn't say it meaner. I'm a big vagina cleaner. Didn't do what I order on vinegar and water. On this, we all agree. On this, we all agree. Oh, good, you finally see. Douche, I can see. Give me a D, O, U, C, A, C, douche. Give me a D, O, U, C, A, C, Thanksgiving and they wanted something Monday and I was on my way to Indiana so we were on the phone a lot trying to figure that out and you know you never get a lot of time no. uh, and that was you know Thanksgiving what the heck but but it came up and by the way wasn't that Randy as the rabbi oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he does a good rabbi he does let's see we also worked on Mike and Molly and um, for that show, they actually used the end, very end of a pre-existing song by Keb Mo as the theme. And um, so they used that for the first three seasons. I'll play that uh, just so you get an idea of what that sounded like. So we didn't write this. This is a pre-existing <coughs> The show stars Melissa McCarthy and Billy Gardell. Episodes of season one, they, they had hired because they used Kev Mo's theme and they love Kev Mo and he's he's great. Um, so they hired him to do the, the bumpers and stuff like that, and it just wasn't working out. I don't know. He he lived in Nashville. That's a big thing, right? There was, you know, you, you got to be in town. They just weren't yeah. happy, and so I think on a Thursday night or something, we got this call from the showrunner. Hey. Uh, you know, when can we talk about you guys coming in to, to work on Mike and Molly? It's like, what are you talking about? So we went in, well, we have to figure out how this transition is gonna work. And we're like, what transition? Well, Chuck wants you to do the music and, and we're gonna let Kev have the theme, but you guys are gonna, and, um, and there's a mix on Tuesday. This was like, a, now we're on, this is Friday morning. There's a mix on Tuesday and Chuck wants you to Come in loaded for bear. That's <laughs> loaded for bear. I remember that. Yeah, seven alternates on every cue. And and Dennis goes this Tuesday, and I go yes this Tuesday. We're good. And, uh, so we worked our butts off all weekend, and we did come in loaded for bear, and then we ended up doing all six seasons of the show. Um, but uh, and then uh, the fourth season, they were trying to amp up Melissa McCarthy's character, so they wanted to revise the theme, and. Um, Chuck had asked Kev Mo to do kind of this big gospel choir thing, kind of based on the... The Jeffersons. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. It was sort of based on the original theme, but not really. And, and um, 
So again, we get a call late one afternoon, or no, it was a late night email. He goes, Chuck, it was from Chuck, and he copied both of us. I'm in trouble, he says. Yeah. He, that this didn't work. This doesn't work, and he goes, I can't figure out why. And he, you know, he attached the MP3, and it was this big gospel thing, but they sort of had thrown the baby out with the bathwater. There was no, I see love. That was all there, you know, was, yeah, over and over again. So, we, you know, we talked about it, and, and I emailed back, because I, I was up late that night for some reason, but, you know, it's kind of like, there's no melody, I don't hear the, you know, I don't hear Kev anymore, there's nothing to hang on to, and then he chimed in in the morning, and he used to have more of a, a fun groove, and I, I, I suggested, I like it like that, Chris Kenner, that kind of groove, and Chuck went, oh, yeah, that might be a way to do it, so... So we took their existing thong song and we did this. singing the vocal, and he came over to my home studio, and he couldn't have been nicer. Um, he didn't even remember this song. I guess they only recorded it, and he never performs it. And he's like, well, did you write any kind of chart for me? And I go, well, yeah, I, I have this, but don't you know it? No, I want to see what you did. What, and and I, as I recall, you looked up pretty quickly because they called at 10 o'clock in the morning. He said, well, uh, he's going to come into town. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, he's here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'll be 45 minutes and he's over yeah, there. Yeah, the office called. Well, you know, they yeah, told yeah, us right the day before that they wanted us to revise the theme. And we, yeah. you know, and they just, we decided on the, I like it like that thing. Love so then, 10 a.m., the office calls. Hey, uh, Kevmo's on a plane. He'll be landing in an hour and he could be at your studio at like 11, 11.15. And, and uh, we're like, well, okay, let me, you I'll call you right back. back. I'll call you back. And Dennis goes, well, we, you got to push him off, you know, like till two o'clock or something so we can at least get a track, uh, something to work with. And so, you know, we pushed him off till two and I called my engineer friend, Steve Shepard, who's here, who recorded all the two and a half minutes stuff for us. And uh, he came over and we did the track real fast and, and um, Kev came in and sang it and, you know, it, it came out great. And he couldn't have been nicer. Kev played some very nice guitar on that too, I will admit. So that... So that anyway, worked out great. But we got to clap on the final track, right? Yeah, we, yeah, we clapped. And I, and, and I had figured out background vocals for Kev to sing, and he goes, well, I don't really do that. And I go, well, okay, but here they are. And, you know, and he goes, well, why don't you come in the booth and sing them with me? And then, you know, okay. So then I ended up singing on the, the theme for Mike and Molly with Kev Mo with stacked three parts. So there you go. Anyway. That's uh, where we are, and then I guess we could talk about my most recent album. Yes, a little bit, if you want. So, you know, I, I've done, uh, I don't know, I think it's 15 solo albums, and there are a, a lot of them are very different, like, you know, one to the other. Um, also has some great guests on this one, too. Thank you, so, so I, you know, I hadn't done an album in a while, and I kind of was thinking, you know, what do I want to do, like, what do I like? And. Um, I realized what I like is like Wes Montgomery and Jimmy Smith and kind of Horace Silver stuff from the 60s. And so I tried to write an album like that. Um, and it's, it's this one called Say That. So, um, and of course, my motto of never letting a good idea go to waste. Um, we did an extended version of the theme from Two and a Half Men and Dennis played it, we came in and recorded it live and Dennis came in and played rhythm guitar. So uh, let's hear a little of that. This is the extended version. I call it the we could do this all night version.
Brown. Thanks so much for coming and bringing your music. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. This is an incredible honor. Really hang out. Thank you. Thank you. How about another hand for these guys? Thank you for listening to another ASMAC podcast. We welcome your feedback at ASMAC.org. This is Rich Bullock speaking on behalf of the ASMAC board, and I would like to invite you to attend our events, including luncheons, master classes, First Wednesday's workshops, and our annual Golden Score Awards Banquet. For a complete list of our podcasts and videos, please visit our website at www.asmac.org. Editing was done by Kim Richmond to prepare for broadcast.